Good morning. So um, we celebrated Thanksgiving with my family. Was it last weekend? Last Saturday? Yeah. So for all week, I've been thinking like it's December. <laughs> and then it's snowing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for winter. It's, but no, we're still in mid, mid-November. And it's a little surprising to see snow out there. But I am the person who enjoys all seasons. I hope you do too. Um, this month, we are praying every day, Lord, help us desire what you desire. That's our prayer for the month. And um, what God desires is to be with his people. That's not the only thing that God desires. But from the perspective of the Bible, that's definitely a main thing. That's how the Bible starts. That's how it ends. That's what's all through the middle. It starts with God making us in his image to walk and talk with us in this garden paradise, right? And it ends how? With Jesus returning and creating a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell with his people. That's the highlight of the last chapter of the Bible, that God is going to dwell with us. And in the middle, we see, you know, God, he rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And he forms a covenant with them. And he asks them to build a tabernacle. Why? So he can dwell among them. But, of course, they rebel. And and so God's son, Jesus Christ, comes to earth. Why? To be Emmanuel, God with us. It is God's desire to be with us. And yet, continually, we are tempted to believe somehow that God is not for us, or that God's abandoned us, or that he just doesn't care anymore. And we forget his heart to be with us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Last week we looked at Matthew 3 where John the Baptist began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This is again God wanting to be with his people. The kingdom of God is drawing near to us. And Jesus says, oh yes, I want that. He responds to that message and he says, I want that. I am turning, not from sin, Jesus didn't have any sin, but he was turning from the time when God was separate from his people. He left heaven and came to earth to be with us. And he was baptized to symbolize as he goes down in the water about how he is going to put to death God's separation from his people on the cross. And then as he rises up from the water in his baptism, it symbolizes how God is going to rise him back up to life in the new kingdom where once again God can be with his people. That's why Jesus is baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, the father says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness where he has no food for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan begins to tempt him. And the devil's rationale goes something like this. He first attacks the very last thing that the father said to Jesus. Jesus, The father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? 
devil goes right after that. He goes after Jesus' identity. He says, if you're truly the Son of God. His rationale is something like, you know, Jesus, if you're truly God's favored child and God is with you, he's pleased with you, you wouldn't be suffering like this. You wouldn't be on the edge of starvation. If God truly was good and if he loved you, if you're a child, wouldn't God take better care of you than this, Jesus? Does that sound familiar? Have you ever had thoughts like that? Let's read about the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, yeah, there's a little humor in that statement. Um, The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's interesting because Jesus' temptation here, it echoes, it parallels the temptation of the Israelites in the wilderness. When God rescued them from slavery, before they could enter the promised land, he led them through a wilderness where they were tested for 40 years. Jesus now is in a wilderness being tested for 40 days. And one of the first tests of the Israelites was that in the desert they ran out of food. And they began to grumble against the Lord and say, did he bring us out here to die? You know, and then of course God brings the manna from heaven and some quail. Jesus has been out there 40 days with no food. And yet, when he's tempted by the devil, he doesn't grumble against God. He doesn't doubt God's goodness. He knows his heavenly father is going to provide. Reading on in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation that Jesus faces is to doubt that God's presence is still with him. And to test that. The Israelites went through the same thing. There's... The second great test was at a place called Massa, where they ran out of water. They had no water in the desert. And again, they began to grumble against the Lord. And they were about to revolt against Moses. And God brought forth water from the rock. I want to show you this verse. It's in Exodus 17, 7. And he, Moses, he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled 
And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Notice how God views it as us testing him. If we're constantly questioning, is God for us or not? Why isn't he showing up? God views it as a test. And then a little later in Deuteronomy 16, I'm sorry, 6, verse 16, Moses warns the Israelites not to keep doing that. He says, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. And this is the verse that Jesus quotes to Satan, where he says, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. Do not just look at your circumstances and see the lack of provision and wonder, hello, God, where are you? Are you here? Are you not here? What's going on? Instead, we're to remember. We're to remember his promises. We're to remember his past provisions and have faith. Faith requires patience. Trusting that God will provide even when we don't see how it's possible. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Apparently, he likes to take Jesus to high places. (sighs) And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended to him. Once again, Jesus' temptation here reflects the temptation of the Israelites. God had promised the Israelites when he took them out of Egypt. He promised to bring them into the land of Canaan. That would be their home where they would be free. It would be their nation. It would be their kingdom. Yet the path God took them on was hard. And by the time they got to the promised land, they were doubting that God was strong enough to actually give it to them. And so there were several times throughout Israel's history where they would turn to other gods. The gods in Canaan, because they thought if they worshipped them, then they would give them control of the kingdom or gods from other nations. Whenever they felt pressured, they would end up turning to other gods. That's the same temptation that Jesus is facing here. Is God going to give him his own kingdom or not? The path God is taking him on is very hard. I mean, we can't forget that central to this temptation is the fact that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where there was no fruit. It's easy to resist temptation when God leads you on an easy path. It's a lot harder when God leads you to a place and you're starving. You're just barely surviving. Is there an easier way for Jesus to gain this kingdom that the Father promised? Is the Father going to come through? But Jesus doesn't fall for this temptation. He trusts that God will ultimately keep his promise and reward him. Hebrews 11.6 says this. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must, first of all, believe that God exists. That's the first part of faith. And the second part of faith, that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith requires this deep belief in the goodness of God that despite our circumstances, God will be faithful to his promise to reward those who do seek him. The temptations of the Israelites and Jesus reflect our own. When God leads us into tough places, we are tempted to doubt his goodness. We're tempted to doubt that he will provide We're tempted to doubt he will protect. And we're tempted to doubt that he will keep his promises. But God is faithful. Jesus, despite his hunger, despite his weakness, despite his sufferings that God led him into, he holds on to his identity as a child of God. And he doesn't doubt his heavenly father is good and will pull him through. God does provide. He does protect. And he does keep his promises. I love how Jesus' temptation ends with the Heavenly Father sending angels to attend to Jesus. We're going to keep reading. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that John, John was his cousin, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He picks up the message of John. It would have been really easy for him to see his cousin in prison and think, If I, if I start preaching, I'm gonna end up in prison. God, God's not, God abandoned John. He's in prison. God might abandon me. But Jesus has already passed this test. And he knows better. His faith gives him the courage to take risks. He has faith that he's a child of God and therefore God's going to provide and God's going to protect and God's going to keep his promise. And because of that faith, he can risk what will happen in this life because he knows his heavenly father will keep his promises in the next life. My friends, we need to have the long-term vision of Jesus. If we're just focused on this life, there will be times that come that seem like God is not faithful. Because all of his promises, quite frankly, do not get fulfilled in this lifetime. Many of them do, 
Many of them are partially fulfilled, but none of them are completely fulfilled until the next life. The goal of our faith is not peace for this short life we have. The goal of our faith is to have peace eternally. And that is the vision that we need to have. There are some times when we end up in a wilderness because of our own bad choices. There's sometimes we end up in a wilderness because of the bad choices of others. There's sometimes we end up in a wilderness because God leads us there. And then it is really easy to doubt his goodness. I've had many wilderness stages of my life. And in every one, I'm always looking for someone to blame. You know, oh, this person did me wrong, and that's why my life is so messed up right now. Or I'm such a moron, and that's why I'm here. (laughs) You know, I I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. I thought I was, but obviously I wasn't paying attention. I must have missed something, you know. And I just heap this blame on myself. Sometimes I blame God. And I've had these conversations with God where I'm like, God, why, why did you Bring me into this. Why are you so harsh? Why do you demand so much? But my friends, sometimes we just have to go through a wilderness to get to a better place. Bernard of Clairvaux, he was a 10th century monk. And he wrote that there's four stages to love. I want to show you these. The first one's pretty self-explanatory. Love of self. Where it's a selfish love where we're concerned with ourselves and we love other people for how they make us feel and for what they do for us. And then we get changed by the love of God. And his mercy, his compassion, his blessings start to change us. And we love God, and this is good. But it's still an immature kind of love. We're very grateful for God. We know we couldn't live without God's blessings in our lives. But we're loving God for his blessings. For what he does for us. And God wants a deeper kind of relationship with us than that where we don't just love him because he's our personal genie. And so God will lead us into a wilderness stage of life where his blessings are stripped away. Because as long as those blessings are always there, we only love God for the blessings. So he leads us into wildernesses is where he begins to strip away the blessings so all we have to depend on is him. And the only comfort we find is in him. Francis Chan uh, went to China to spend some time in the underground church. And he was with Christians who sat for years in prisons. And he said one of the most astonishing things they told him was they had times where they longed to be back in prison 
because the presence of God was so strongly with them there. And the peace that they felt in God, like his presence was just tangible to them. Our God is a triune God. He exists in this perfect relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where they just love and delight in one another. And it's that relationship that is the source of all love and peace and joy. And the closer you draw to God, the more you just begin to sense and feel his love and peace and joy. And that's when we begin to actually love God for who he is and not what he gives us. Love of God for God. And the love of God just melts away our insecurities. And we move on to this fourth stage where we love ourselves for God. Where his love has melted away all the things that we hate about ourselves all our insecurities, and we just can accept ourselves for who we truly are, flaws and all. No more nitpicking our appearance, no more nitpicking our performance. But we love ourselves as God loves us. And that then allows us to love others. Because when we can love ourselves, flaws and all, then we can love others, flaws and all. And we're not nitpicking them either. So the third stage is coming to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The fourth stage here is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Even the point where we can love our enemies. My friends, this is the better place. And this is the place you can only get to through the wilderness. By following God through the wilderness. Verse 18. Well, I'll just say this before I read verse 18. We see that Jesus has gone through these stages. He, he's not selfish. He doesn't just love God for what God gives him. Right? In the desert where God was not giving him anything, not even food. He's not cursing or doubting God. He loves God. And one of the things as we study Matthew, you'll see over and over again, is that Jesus takes time just to be with his heavenly father. And then that pours out from him in love for other people. And he starts going to other people. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. One of the last things, our last sermon series, was on the book of Ephesians, where we learned that as a church we're to be the body of Christ. And so we decided to follow that up by studying Matthew, because if we're to be the body of Christ, we need to spend some time studying Jesus Christ and what he did, so we know what to do and how to imitate him. So what is Jesus doing in this passage that we just read? Well, first of all, he's not letting the threat of discomfort or um, loss or even persecution dissuade him from carrying out his God-given mission. More positively stated, because of his faith, Jesus is willing to risk. Second, he's expressing his faith publicly and among the Gentiles. He's not just going to Jews who already know and believe in God. He's going among the Gentiles. It, and let's see, in verse 15 it says he was in Galilee of the Gentiles in verses 24 through 25, it says news spread through him throughout all Syria and the Decapolis, which was ten cities that were predominantly Gentile. So he is publicly living out his faith in ways that people can see. If we're to be the body of Christ, we need to be publicly living out our faith in ways that people who do not know God can see. That's part of it. He's also asking people to join him. That's another thing he's doing. He, and he's not just inviting them to like private Bible studies in homes or private worship services. He's inviting them to follow him and live their lives out publicly too. And expressions of their faith that will catch people, that will influence people who will want to come and meet and spend time with Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to spend time with you, but he, he doesn't want it just to be in private. He wants to be a public part of your life. And he wants to go fishing with you. I don't know if any of you have ever gone fishing with, like, a father or grandfather. Um... But there's usually some long, quiet hours involved in fishing. And that can lend the door to some heart-to-heart conversations. Just to getting to know each other on a deeper level. There are some things about the heart of God you will never understand until you fish with him. Because that's where his heart is. He's always fishing. Realize that when Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's actually fishing for them at that very moment. (laughs) He's not asking them to do anything that he's not already doing. Jesus is always fishing. 
He fished for you, that's why you're here. And he wants us to go fishing with him. And that's going to look different for different people. You know, for most people, it doesn't mean leaving your job and your family like the disciples. But it does mean leaving your comfort zone. And being willing to follow him on a new adventure. So as we pray, Lord, let us desire what you desire. I want you to be thinking and asking God how he wants to take you fishing. To be publicly living out your faith in ways that influence others and invite them to meet Jesus too. Because that's where the heart of God is. To be with us and to be with all the others that are not quite there yet. Don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are not a cold and distant Father. I thank you that you are not a harsh Father. But as Scripture says, you discipline those you love. And God, it is not easy for us to be stripped of our selfishness and stripped of our insecurities, but I thank you, you don't leave us wallowing in them. But you lead us through wilderness times where the only comfort we have is from you. And we draw closer to your heart. And we understand and know you more deeply and your heart becomes our heart. And God, that's what we pray. That we'll desire what you desire. God, we pray that we'll want to be with you as much as you want to be with us. And God, we pray that we'll not only love you for who you are, but that love will transform us into a greater love for others. God, we get so weighed down by the cares and the concerns and the stress of our own life that it can be hard to even think about other people. God, I pray that we will trust in you to take care of those burdens so we don't have to be self-protectors but we can be fishers. Help us desire what you desire and show us how you're inviting us to go fishing with you, Lord. Give us a heart for people like you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go any farther, I just want to acknowledge that it's Veterans Day. And our veterans are people who have definitely walked through a wilderness so that we can get to a better place. And so we just like to have any veterans or active duty people to stand so we can appreciate you.
We thank you for your service and for your courage that we all benefit from. 